For a relatively small country of five and a half million people, we have three universities in the QS 100 top universities, which is really fantastic performance, including Edinburgh number 20. So I have to get that in. I'm contractually obliged to mention that, that we're a world top 20 university. It's also a great location. If you look at Edinburgh in itself, you know, it's a great place to live. Scotland is a fantastic country to live in. Scotland may be a small country, but it is a hotbed for innovation. Here to tell us more about that and the University of Edinburgh specifically is George Baxter, the Chief Executive of Edinburgh Innovations, which is a wholly owned subsidiary of the university handling tech transfer. George, welcome and thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, thank you very much, Terry. Uh, pleasure to be here. To start with, can you maybe give us a bit of an overview of what Edinburgh Innovations does, maybe a bit of its history, some key figures? Yeah, of course. We're the University of Edinburgh's commercialisation company. We're a wholly owned subsidiary company of the university, so they're our only shareholder. We've been operating for just over 50 years. We have around 120 staff, and we cover much of the commercial activity of the university, including what a tech transfer office would normally do in terms of disclosures, patents, licenses, royalties, spin-outs and startups. But also wider than that, we also cover industrial awards, translational awards and student uh, enterprise as well. So we're a little bit broader than what many standard tech transfer offices are in other universities. That's quite interesting. I don't know if there's a lot that do student startups as well. I guess that increases your numbers quite a lot. <laughs> Yes, it does. Uh, we, we're very active in student startups. In fact, last year, we were, I think, seventh in the UK on the total number of student startups with about 85. We expect to be in the top two or three this year on that. And, and we're, we're sort of, I think, top, we'll be top this year on the research intensive universities. We put a lot of time and effort into that. We're really keen on supporting our students becoming enterprising and we seem to get a great reaction. We have about 2,000 students signed up to our enterprise courses at any one time. It's from our student population, just over 40,000. So it's a fairly good ratio. We'd like it to be a lot more, but it's fairly good. And, and just to give you some other numbers, last year, we did about uh, £58 million of industrial and translational awards that we negotiated for the university, around £7 million of consultancy with academics as well. And we brought in £32 million in new startup investment into spin-outs. So, and that covers the academic staff and the student staff, the students as well. Wow, that's, that is big, big numbers. Let's get it out of the way so it is out of the way. Are there any ways that the pandemic has changed how you work? And, and is there anything that you hope will stick? Yes, we, we switched completely to homeworking. In March, in fact, we are still 100% home, home working almost nine months later. Well, in fact, more than nine months later. So that, that, that changed radically, as it has for many of our colleagues, is how we've worked. Incredibly, our, we are busier than ever. I think the, the time that the, our academic staff have had to spend out with the labs during the hard lockdown enabled them to write up their disclosures, look at their inventions. And we've been doing a lot of work on that. So we've had business as usual, and on top of that, we've had about 100 COVID-related projects as well that we're helping to run around the university. And staff have been working from home. The technology has been fantastic. 
And, and I think what we'll adapt from that is that sort of hybrid model of sort of home working, office working, and then working out with our clients and customers, the academics and our industrial partners. So I think we'll have a much more hybrid model in the future with those three components, more than we have done in the past. And, and I think that will be really beneficial for people. That's very interesting. It's, I've spoken to a few people and, and they seem to say the same thing, that researchers have suddenly had time to, uh, to write up their, their disclosures. <laughs> yes. So they're, they're surprisingly <laughs> busy. Yes. Yeah, they've, uh, they, you know, they, they've been working very hard from home as well. And probably all those notebooks and notes that they've had sitting that they always promised themselves they'd write up, they, they've, they've got to. And it's been fantastic for us. We've got uh, some tremendous stuff coming out of it. We've got the biggest portfolio of, of spin-outs that we've had. We've got about 25 projects we're working on as potential spin-outs. We'll probably do about eight spin-outs this year as well, which is a bit more than our average, which may be somewhere between four and six spin-outs a year. So it, it's been in many ways busier than, than a normal year. And, but I'm still glad we're coming. You know, there is some light at the end of the tunnel now with the vaccines. I think that's uh, great for everyone for all sorts of reasons. And, you know, my, the staff at EI and the university have been fantastic at adapting to this, but nine, 10 months a year is really stretching it for people working, you know, from home. And we're, I think we're all looking forward to going back to a more normal life as everyone is. Yeah, yeah, certainly. I know I am definitely reaching the, <laughs> yes. uh, the final <laughs> stages of being okay with how things are. <laughs> yes. How would you say Edinburgh is, is performing compared to its Scottish peers when it comes to entrepreneurship? I obviously you have some impressive numbers there. Yes, we are. We are on on most uh, measures of entrepreneurship. We are we are top of the table. Investment into new spinouts, uh, students engaged, uh, numbers of uh, spinout companies, and, and also as as much as sometimes award ceremonies aren't a great measure of how well you're doing. But uh, we've won a lot of awards this year. For instance, the Converse Challenge Awards, which are regarded as one of the prime Scottish enterprise and, and commercialization awards, we won two out of three main categories for that. And, and something which I'm something which I'm really proud of is that if you look at our support from the Scottish government, which we get funding for, and we compare our outputs per pound of support from the Scottish Government, we are by far the most efficient university. We are by far the largest outputs per pound of direct support for innovation of any Scottish university. And in fact, we're up there in the top handful in, in the UK as well for the same type of funding, whether it's high funding or the Scottish version of, of university innovation funding. So in terms of taxpayers' money, the, the Scottish taxpayer gets a very good return from what we do, which is another really important measure for us that we are seen to be contributing to the Scottish economy in a very efficient way. So interesting. Speaking of funding, you've got old college capital as well, led by Andrea Young, of course. How important is that as a funding source and supporting the ecosystem? It's been fantastically important, Terry. I think the for two main reasons. One is that it demonstrates a faith in entrepreneurship by the university. The university took its own funding and invested in that. And the fund's running at £12 million just now. Uh, we're hoping to expand that uh, over the next couple of years as well. That demonstrates to the academics that we really value entrepreneurship and that this is something which is a key part of an academic life and, and potentially is a way forward in terms of career as well. The, the second part is that, of course, what we want to do is generate additional funding for the university to, go, to feed back into our core mission of research and teaching. 
So we're we're very close to a few sales at the moment. We're hoping, and we're very we're hoping that very soon we'll have a self-sustaining fund for OCC, which means that the initial investment that the university made around ten years ago will start to be paid back and and more. And that excess money we get back, hopefully, will go back in partly go back into starting more companies as well. So all in all, it's been tremendously interesting. It also gives us a seat at the table with external funders that we can come in and, and actually the credibility that we've put our own money where our, where our ideas are really helps when you're trying to attract external funders into to do spin-outs as well. Yeah, that's that's amazing. I kind of like the idea that it's going to be self-sustaining fund as well. I'll definitely have to keep an eye out for that. Yes, yes. I, I think within the next couple of years, as I say, we've got two or three really good prospects on the go at the moment. and. I think we'll do fine over the next two or three years. Amazing. Taking out a slightly wider view, how do you think Scotland compares to the rest of the UK? It's got some strengths, actually. And I would say the university sector is one of Scotland's strengths, but it is in terms of the amount of research funding that we get from UK government sources. We outperform most other parts of the UK. Our universities are very strong in that area. For a, for a relatively small country of five and a half million people, we have three universities in the QS 100 top universities, which is really fantastic performance, including Edinburgh number 20. So I have to get that in. I'm contractually obliged to mention that, that we're a world top 20 university. It's also a great location. If you look at Edinburgh in itself, you know, it's a great place to live. Scotland is a fantastic country to live in. I spent 30 years living and working in England. I came back for the job in Edinburgh, but but it's uh, it's a great uh, benefit here to have such an amazing combination of cities and and uh, scenery and mountains and lochs and the sea and rivers, and that definitely actually helps attract and retain good people. So that's really important. And then the third thing we've got is is actually in, in the venture community, we've got a very strong angel network and a very strong investor community in Scotland, which which is really helpful when you're trying to do a spin-out or a startup. And the very final thing is that we're actually incredibly international, particularly at Edinburgh. Almost half of our students, almost half of our staff are non-UK. We are a very international university that just sort of happens to be in Edinburgh with all the benefits that being in Edinburgh and Scotland brings as well. But it's a, it's a, a fabulous place to be. And if you, look at, if you look at our investment from external industrial partners, we're about a third UK, third Europe, third rest of the world. So very, very international university. Wow, that's amazing. You've, you've mentioned funding a few times there and you have angel investors. Obviously, Scottish Enterprise plays a big role as well. Is the grant funding that Scottish Enterprise puts up important? Is that too much? Because some people I've spoken to in Scotland seem to think that more traditional VC money would help grow the ecosystem more than relying on government funding. It's been very important and what I think will continue to be very important. What they've been able to do is kickstart quite a lot of activities and the ability to be flexible to invest in Scottish issues from a Scottish perspective with a sort of place, the place based agenda has been really important. So I would say that's been, that's been excellent. I mean, the rest of the UK has other sources of funds as well. We, we have SE on top of that. So, so, for instance, Scottish Enterprises invest in, investment into our initial, our Bayes Institute, which is our data-driven institute in the College of Science and Engineering, into the innovation program for that has been really important. 
So yes, we, we fully support that investment. We long may it continue. We'd like to have even more investment in that. But what we found recently is a lot of the investment from SE now is people are looking at much more commercially based investments rather than grants. So, and for example, this year and over the next couple of years, we'll see the development of the Scottish National Investment Bank, which the Scottish government is investing in. And that will start off with £150 million building Scotland fund to invest in commercial ventures. So it's sort of parallel, a little bit like the British Business Bank, which we've already had significant investment from in Scotland, including a £50 investment in Epidatics 3, which is a life sciences fund based in Edinburgh, which which we as Edinburgh University actually invested £10 in as well. Of, of university money. So we are getting, finally starting, Not well, not finally, I mean, over the last five or six years, we're getting a good range of external pure venture investors into Scotland now. And that's, and in our numbers, you can see that if you went back five years, we were doing a fraction of what we were doing in terms of investments into startups. And I said last year, as I said, we did 32 million into new spin-outs. And uh, that that's about six times what we did five, six years ago. Wow, that's a pretty phenomenal growth. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I think other universities in Scotland will tell you the same story. I don't really want to get into the politics of it, but obviously Scottish independence is on everyone's radar again at the moment. If we imagine for a second that Scotland does become independent, what challenges or opportunities would that present for a tech transfer? Well, we're obviously completely agnostic about the... I mean, we don't have an opinion about the, uh, in fact, we don't have an opinion about the independence. The key thing is, if if the Scottish economy continues, people tend to be confident in the Scottish economy. There are lots of small countries which have done well in the world, which are good home for venture capital investment and startups and spin-outs. The fundamental thing is that Scotland remains the same good place to do business, you know, to make those investments, to recruit staff and retain staff. Those are the important things. And that's all anybody in, in in this industry will be looking for from any future political changes is, are we going to stay the good place we are to, to make those investments? There's no reason why we shouldn't. In terms of opportunities, well, one of the strengths of the Scottish economy is, and, and this would be wherever we are, politically home, part of the UK or independent, the university sector is a really strong part of the, the Scottish ecosystem. I mean, people traditionally think of Scotland and they think of, you know, tourism, oil, wind, financial services, whiskey, food. But actually, the university sector is up there as one of the most substantial contributors to, uh, particularly as I think about the export market, the export industries in, in Scotland, because of all the students that we bring in. We have 20,000 overseas students who contribute in Edinburgh alone, who can, in the University of Edinburgh alone, who contribute massively to, to the economy. So as long as we've got all that still in place, you know, we, we've, we, we're nearly 500 years old. We've gone through a lot of political changes. Uh, I'm sure we'll manage through any, whatever political changes or lack of changes come up in the next few years. <laughs> Does that, I mean, obviously the, the big political change that is in front of us now is, is Brexit. Are you worried about that considering that you have so many international students? Is that going to be a challenge for Edinburgh? That, that is a more direct issue for universities. And, and you know, I'm not just probably wouldn't just be I don't well I don't claim to speak on behalf of the, the whole university, but if you look at the we universities in the UK, think about this, the key thing for universities is can can we do a deal around the Horizon Europe program, for instance? 
which is very important. We 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 Edinburgh do very well on the the what was Horizon 2020 and the new Horizon Europe program will be very important. That's really and the European Research Council. Those these are really high quality research grants and pro programs, and we do very well at Edinburgh in those. So you know if we can keep in on those, if if the UK government can come to an agreement with the EU about those, that would be a huge relief and reduce risk for British universities. But I don't think that would be any surprise. It's what every British university would be saying. And things like the Erasmus program for student exchange is really important. You know, as long as we have something which at the very least gets us in on those programs, you know, that, that's something which all British universities would be looking for. Yeah, fingers crossed. <laughs> we are recording this a couple of weeks before the Brexit deadline. So by the time people hear this, we will, we might know more. We might not. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, we, yeah, fingers crossed. I think, I think, you know, with my contact, I'm a member of a number of European organizations as well, the League of European Research Universities, for example. And it's very clear that our European colleagues desperately want the British universities to remain part of that as well. We are a really strong part of the European higher education network. And together as, as a European network, we do some fantastic work. And I think we'd all like that to continue, but the politicians will, will negotiate that and, you know, we'll we'll throw in our arguments for for it, but let's see how the politicians go. You've mentioned a few, a few times as well that Scotland is is a relatively small country. I think there's eighteen institutions. I want to say. Mm. Do you think a mm. centralised mm. system like France's SAP network for a tech transfer would work in a place like Scotland, or why wouldn't it? Yeah, it's interesting you ask that, Thierry, because we've been looking at you know internally in my team. We went, that actually was brought up recently at one of my my old staff meetings. We've looked at this in the past. In fact, a couple of my team who've been here longer than me, I, I, I'm just over four years here now. A couple of my team who were here, you know, 10, 15 years ago, actually pulled out a paper they'd written uh, suggesting such a thing. I, I think the world has moved on since then. If you look at the critical mass that universities like that we have, like at Edinburgh, you know, we have 120 staff. We can do the full range of, of, uh, you know, patents, disclosures. Everything, you know, we have all the expertise and we have a fantastic legal team as well supporting us. So we feel we've probably got the critical mass to, to, to handle our own business. And I guess my colleagues at other large Scottish universities to take a, you know, Strathclyde, Glasgow, who are very strong in this area as well, would probably, maybe they take a similar view, though I, I don't dare speak on behalf of any other Scottish university. But, um, I think that, you know, if I was sitting in another chair at the Scottish Government or Funding Council, or whatever, then yeah, maybe maybe it's worthwhile looking at it every couple of years just to say uh, how could the expertise which places like Edinburgh have got be used more widely for Scotland? Could you actually set up a central Scottish tech transfer type office which would offer services across a, a large number of smaller Scottish universities or universities which don't have I've not been able to or don't have such a commitment to the tech transfer world. And, and that may be a, a, a very efficient way. It has some disadvantages as well. And, you know, you have to get everybody to sign up for it. But I, I think it's always worthwhile looking at. And as I said, you know, we literally last week at the meeting, a few of my team said, could we look at that? And, and, and you know, we talk very regularly to our people, the people at the Scottish Funding Council and Scottish Government. And this is something which comes up in I, I, I don't see anything on the horizon at the moment, but I, I say I think it's something which uh, just need to really just needs to be checked back on to make sure we're not missing an opportunity there. Yeah, it's very interesting. 
I uh, I seem to have good good timing there for. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, very very good timing. There's real pros and cons in this. You know, you can imagine some universities don't want to lose their independence, but if you've got access to expertise which you can't afford, there is a minimum critical mass for a lot of this. You know, we have we have patent attorneys, we have tech tran- many tech transfer officers, people working in enterprise, business advisors. And if you're a smaller university, you may not be able to afford that that range uh, or to buy in from outside might be less efficient. So I'd certainly be open to that, having that discussion with my other university colleagues. But of course, you have to have everybody buying into it. That's not the sort of thing that can be imposed. It has to be done by everyone agreeing to do it. But I, I'd certainly be open to have the conversation to see whether it's something that would look, make sense or not. It's very interesting. I'm not actually sure. I think the French government just imposed it. They just, they just went ahead with it. <laughs> <laughs> and I, yeah, I think there's 13 universities in, in the French network, and they, they have a, quite a different ecosystem there with the Technopoles and, and other organizations. So it, it's, I, next time I talk to my uh, French colleagues, I'll, I'll ask them how it's going yeah. <laughs> <laughs> at the University of Paris. <laughs> my next question is my favorite one, and people tend not to like it so much. What's your favorite company that's come out of Edinburgh so far? I, I, okay, right. Okay, let, let me let me cheat on this a little bit by suggesting two. That's fine. <laughs> and, and there's a, re- there's a reason to. for that. One, one, is, one is quite a small company, so it's probably not one that people would think I would choose. It's a company called Speak Unique. And this is a collaboration between some people in neuroscience in our College of Medicine and Veterinary Medicine. And also our artificial intelligence and natural language processing people in our School of Informatics and in the Bayes Institute. And this is, this is for people who are losing their voice due to neurological challenges like motor neuron disease or so on, and then eventually have to switch to a computerized voice, which, which has a lot of impact on people. You know, when they lose their voice, it's a, it's, it's, you know, it's a terrible thing for most people. And what Speak Unique has been set up to do in this collaboration is by recording a limited number of, of words from a person before they've completely lost their voice, the, that company can now synthesize that voice to, to then allow the person when they've lost their natural voice completely to have a voice through the computer which sounds like them. And so it's, a, it's quite recent, only the last year or two. It's, it's, you know, it's quite a small niche opportunity. But actually, it's one of those ones, this collaboration between neuroscience and artificial intelligence, and also the ability to really help people who are in, you know, who are, who are very ill. And, you know, when you've lost your voice, that's a massive drop off of a link between you and the outside world. So that one really uh, made a big impression on me, as you can probably tell, that um, it's a fantastic, fantastic little, relatively small company. The, the, other, the other one I'll, I'll pick up is a company called Invisius. And that's, a, again, a collaboration between chemistry and, and college of medicine and vet medicine, again. Most, and this is a, a sort of larger opportunity and gives you maybe the other end of the scale for, for Edinburgh. Most people don't realize that people who have kidney dialysis, actually the, the biggest risk to you is heart problems because of clotting. As, as your blood goes through the dialysis machine, there's interactions with materials and, and your blood can start to clot. And, and, and a lot of people who are on kidney dialysis, your biggest risk of death is actually from heart problems, not from the, your kidneys packing up. So what we've got is a technology which can coat materials within the, the kidney dialysis machine. And if you think how many millions of people are on dialysis across the world, 
So that's 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 been launched in the last couple of years with some external funding uh, funding from from Mercia and also some internal funding from the university. And what that's enabled them to do is, is actually get put forward into the sort of clinical trials side over the next couple of years, just to check that that technology does work. That, that you know there's no avoidable risks there, and that uh, it could actually transform kidney dialysis for millions of people. And you know add years onto people's lives for something which, you know, is, is uh, while the list for transplants uh, are, are relatively long, could actually allow people to live a, a normal life because it allows you to stay alive longer to then be available for a transplant. So I think that's on the other end of the scale from the, the Speak Unique one. Could could be really transformational for something that most of us know is someone who's been affected by kidney dialysis. That's fascinating. I certainly did not realise that stroke blood clot is, is the bigger risk when you have a failing kidney yes yes that's fascinating yes yes i didn't either and i think that's the other thing i love about working here is you know it's, I, I used to be an academic i was a professor in a business school for for a while and people said to me do you know i've been asked for do i miss <laughs> do i miss being an academic and, and i said well i wasn't an academic for very long before i went into this type of role but i i don't miss it because i'm actually working with some of the world's best academics and i get to work with thousands of people across the university, everything from neuroscience, artificial intelligence, chemistry, cell biology, politics, history, archaeology. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a great job for that. You, you really get a chance to, to talk to some of the most interesting people on the planet. And that's what makes it fantastically interesting. What brought you to, um, to Edinburgh then or, or back to Scotland from, uh, I think you said you were in England for, for a few decades <laughs> Yeah, I, I'd, I'd uh, worked most of my career in the private sector working for companies like AstraZeneca on technology licensing and also in specialty chemicals businesses, heading up those internationally, particularly in Japan. And then I'd worked for the government for eight years on economic development, which was, was, a, was tremendous. But I, I, was, I was at the University of Nottingham doing a very similar role to this and very happy there. It's a great university, really enjoying it. And then I got approached about potentially being interested in the job at Edinburgh. And the fascinating thing about Edinburgh at that point, this is five years ago now, was that I've, I saw it very much as to use the cliche that I saw a sleeping giant in the commercialization area. I looked at the numbers and I saw that Edinburgh was fourth in research power in, in the UK, that sort of numbers of academics times the quality of the research. So fourth is you know pretty good, in fact, very good. A world top 20, particularly around its research strengths as well. But in commercialization, if you look at some of the metrics, it was down 15th, 16th, 17th. And and I and I dug a bit more into that, and and what it what it what it made me realise was there was a huge opportunity in Edinburgh to make a a radical change, and that as much as I was very happy at Nottingham, I, you know I came to Edinburgh for that opportunity and that challenge. It wasn't about necessarily coming back to Scotland, although that's that's very nice because I like Scotland. <laughs> but I'd been thirty years in England, so I was very happy there as well. I, I think that opportunity, the, the the breadth of the job here as well. Covering you know industrial relationships and consultancy and student, the student stuff as well was is great really appeals to me. It's the international quality of the university that I've mentioned before that you know you get to work with so many people from all over the world. It's uh, tremendous. Uh, really you know sometimes at the end of the day you know your head's really hurting because particularly particularly with this new te- this technology doing you know on screens all the time you could have I don't know seven eight nine meetings a day and you're flipping from a meeting with someone at Stanford about something, and then you're flipping to someone in France, then someone in Japan, 
and and of all different subjects, and it can it really can be uh, quite disorientating at times. But um, the ability to work across that breadth here at Edinburgh was was fantastic. We've we've done pretty well, I think, since then. You know, I, I I've been able to recruit a really fantastic team, and the university has been amazing investing in Edinburgh in Innovations. We've gone from about 60 people to 120 people in the last four or five years, which has been fantastic. We're now pretty steady at those numbers. We, we, we are a net contributor to the university finances, which is you know, one of my ambitions when I, when I came for the interview. And uh, the interview panel, people I work with now keep reminding me of that, that, that what I promised at the interview, they said, uh, <laughs> we remember, we wrote that down, George, here are the six things you said you could do. And we've actually, to be fair, we actually have achieved all of those in the first four years. So, and, and, and a lot, I mean, most of the credit's down to, you know, the, the, the team at Edinburgh Innovations, the academic team we've got here and the support we've had from the, the senior management at the university as well, which has been great. But also internationally, it's been great to work with people like the 10U organization, which is an organization of the world's sort of top 10 entrepreneurship and enterprise uh, universities, you know, Stanford, MIT, Columbia, ourselves, Manchester, also Cambridge, Imperial UCL. And I've missed anybody else out. They'll probably tell me on Friday when I meet them. But but we get together fairly regularly in this 10-year organization. And we we have very regular catch-ups and benchmarking and really see how we can improve globally, how we can improve tech transfer and enterprise, which is which is fantastic to do. And you know, if I wasn't Edinburgh, you know, there are very few, obviously very few other universities. That, that have those sort of links. So breadth of the job, still a lot to do, still a huge amount to do. I think we can do even better, but but still very happy here and looking forward to the next five years, hopefully, as well. I mean, it sounds like uh, Edinburgh is, uh, is very lucky to have you as well. Well, I hope so. <laughs> I, keep, I, keep, I keep telling the chairman of my company that that's the case. You know, he's, see, John, you're very lucky to have me. <laughs> but he, he always thinks I'm joking, but usually I'm not. <laughs> no, I, I, I think it's it's also. I hope you can, it comes across as well. It's actually a, a very fun place, and I don't mean fun in like you know, everybody tells jokes stuff. It's fun in terms to me. Fun is is being being interesting and being challenging. That's that's what makes it fun. What makes you get out of bed in the morning for jobs like this is not signing another license agreement, but the impact that a license agreement could have in working with people to whom this is really important stuff. So. I've been able to recruit and retain, a, I think, a really excellent team at Edinburgh, the, the team Edinburgh Innovations. I can't say, can't speak highly enough of them there. And that, that keeps me going. It makes it much easier to be a chief executive if you've, if you've got a fantastic team. I, I have worked places in the past, not in the university sector, where, where uh, you know, I've been a lot more challenging in terms of uh, politics and so on. And, and actually, you know, there is very little of that sort of internal politics here. Mostly everybody just wants to go on and do a good job and do, do the right thing. And it makes it so much easier. You can spend your effort on that and your, your, your energy on that as well. And that makes it a real pleasure to work here. That's wonderful. I think one, well, it's not really so much a question as it is whether there was anything else that we haven't talked about that you want people to know about. No, I know. I think, I think that's, that's fine. It, I, it's been a pleasure talking to you. I mean, You've you've asked a really challenging set of questions there, which 
I'm sure when, when we start this interview, I'll, I'll think, oh, I'm sure I should have mentioned something else. Another number I can throw in. Apologies if I've thrown in a lot of numbers. That's how I think. I think I in, quite like numbers. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I think in numbers and graphs and stuff, and and it frustrates frustrates some of my colleagues in the College of Arts Humanities. You know, I I tend to think in numbers and graphs, but it's a good complementary thing there. When other people, I've got lots of people on my team who think in in words, <laughs> so that helps. <laughs> so no, no, I really appreciate the chance to talk to you, Thierry. It's been a, a real pleasure and. Good luck with the rest of your series of podcasts. It's been wonderful to have you. Thank you very much for joining us, George. No, thank you. Thank you. Talking Tech Transfer is hosted by me, Thierry Hales. It is produced by Global University Venturing, a Morsonia Limited publication. You can find us at globaluniversityventuring.com, on LinkedIn as Global University Venturing, or on Twitter at GU Venturing. Our sound engineer is Mark Chatterley from In-Ear Production. You can find them on inearproduction.com. If you've enjoyed this episode, make sure to hit that subscribe button so you never miss an interview. We'd also really love it if you could leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or if you share this podcast with your friends and colleagues. It really helps us grow our audience. You can also reach out to me directly with feedback. Just email thehelis at globaluniversityventuring.com. That is T-H-E-L-E-S at globaluniversityventuring.com. Until next time, have a great week, everyone. Goodbye.